This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 77, 10 Ways to Develop Streams of Passive Income That Won't Run Dry. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Coming in hot with a brand new episode. Glad to have you all with us today. I'm your co-host, Mark Willis, and with me in the studio today is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. Welcome, everyone. All right. So I think, Holly, before we jump into our content today of uh, just 10 basic ways to develop income uh, that won't run dry, passive income, that sounds so nice. Uh, But first, let's hear something else that's pretty nice, too. We always love it when folks leave us a five-star review. Uh, Holly, you have one here for us. Could you read that for us and uh, for our listeners? Yes. So this five-star review is coming from VIXXPM. And so they left us a five-star review. That's their legal name, I think. Yeah. (laughs) They left us a five-star review and then also left this comment for us. Um, They said, it's refreshing to see someone back their product with data. You guys took it even a step further to have a guest, Pamela Yellen, share their policy, which I viewed on your website. So thank you so much, VIXXPM, for Mm -hmm. your thoughts. Uh, Appreciate your five-star review and your comment. Yeah, it's so it is so good. We we really do try to make all of our episodes backed with actual content with real sources, real data, real lives. Most importantly, if we're going to get on here and say something, we want to make sure that it's true and that it's built with uh, the integrity we hope to bring to each episode. So we really try our best with our content. So it's always super helpful when we hear uh, great feedback like this. If you would like to have us read your five-star review, on the podcast, please do so uh, wherever you listen to this show. And uh, if we catch it, um, we'll read it. If you want us to make sure we see it, though, because there's so many podcast apps out there, just take a snapshot picture of it with your smartphone or whatever, and then uh, email it to hello at nyafinancialpodcast.com. If you do that and you live in the U.S., we'll send you a free copy of one of the best-selling books that we have in our office, The Bank on Yourself Revolution. So glad to have uh, Vix PM or however you say your name. Uh, your parents have a lot of explaining to do. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into this episode. Last episode, we did talk about Ryan and his 16 streams of passive income. What is the purpose, Holly? I mean, think about this. Why why have multiple streams of income if I could just you know have one stream of income? Doesn't that seem simpler? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, during your working years, it is best to have multiple streams of income for different reasons than than when you're in retirement. In your working years, especially if you're an entrepreneur, it's especially uh, smart and a great idea to have multiple streams of income that are related to each other. We mentioned this at the end of last episode, but I want to reiterate this. You can have multiple streams of income that are connected to each other, that have tributaries running into streams, running into rivers, running into you know, oceans of, of income. Uh, and they can all be related as it gives you a competitive edge against your competitors. 
who are focused on that feast or famine with just one income stream. If you have a, if you sell washing machines and then all of a sudden, you know, Uber comes out with Uber Wash or something, you're in big trouble, you know. But if you have multiple income streams, you know, that are related but, you know, different, maybe you wrote a book on how to wash your clothes the best or maybe you have a, a, a service that delivers, uh, you know, washed clothes, I don't know. But you create this income stream uh, tributary system that are related to each other but not necessarily uh, reliant on exactly the same thing. So if you're an employee listening to this, earning a salary, it's great to have some other streams of income too, not just the business owner. And if you have streams of income as an employee, that gives you some insurance, some income insurance to, to give you a boost also to help you ride out any rough spots, uh, such as maybe losing your job uh, during a recession. Uh, that can be a, a great salve whenever you've lost that main source of income to have a side hustle or two or three. <laughs> so we're going to be going through a quick run through of, a, I think, a ton of different ways to receive passive income just to get your imagination going, give you some ideas on uh, which of these might be a good fit for you. And uh, you can leave certainly the ones that don't make sense for you, just leave them in the dust. And we'll focus in on the ones that seem to fit well for you. So the key here is to have multiple streams of related income to give you resiliency, to be anti-fragile, as we've talked about in previous episodes, and to help you survive and even thrive no matter what the economy or Wall Street is throwing at you. All right, so we've got 10. Let's start with number one, uh, the one that a lot of people come to us already doing. In fact, maybe a little less than half of our clients are somehow invested in real estate uh, as of right now. And there's a number of ways you can get income with real estate. So let's talk about just a few of those. The first is something called REIT dividends. So REIT dividends, it sounds like I've got like some sort of a stutter there or something, but mm -hmm. REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. And uh, this is according to Investopedia, a REIT is a company that owns, operates, finan and finances income producing real estate. So that's cool. So you, in, in effect, you become an owner in this company that does the real estate investing uh, and landlording and all that for you. So you don't necessarily own the doors in your portfolio. You own the company that owns the doors, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Now, unfortunately, uh, with REITs, there are some advantages, definitely, but there are some uh, things you lose. You lose a lot of the specific tax advantages that you normally would get with real estate. And uh, when the REIT does pay a dividend and distributions to you, uh, oftentimes those uh, incomes and those distributions are, are not straightforward. They lose some of the tax advantages of receiving dividends. So for example, dividends from REITs are taxed as ordinary income, not capital gains, which would be the normal case with, say, if you sold some real estate. Uh, and, uh, one way to get around this is uh, using some of the tax problems uh, that, that usually REITs have is to hold your REIT inside a Roth IRA. So we won't get into much of this here on this episode, but it's kind of neat to know that you can have REITs inside of a tax-free vehicle like a Roth IRA, and that gives you some advantages that uh, were lost to you when you invested in REITs in the first place. So, of course, that does limit how much you can put into a Roth IRA, and therefore, it kind of limits how much you can put into a REIT, right? Mm -hmm. what or at about least in the tax advantage way. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, we do lose some tax advantages. You know, there's, you know, you can't depreciate uh, using REITs. You know, you can't necessarily sell with capital gains rates. So, uh, but that does give us some income, and that's a pretty awesome way to do it through real estate if you don't want to be a landlord. Mm -hmm. What about um, the maybe more common way to do real estate investing? 
Yes. So um, obviously, this is one that probably most people are aware of, and it's just straight rental income. So rental properties. Uh, Rental income can be a great source of money for you to collect in your mailbox each month. Just kind of comes, hopefully, that's the idea, right? They're paying Mm -hmm. on time. And, you know, you just get those checks in the mail, or I mean, I'm sure most are digital at this point, but you you just get that money each month, and that's passive income. So it provides a steady stream of money when you do have the tenants. Uh, But, you know, don't think that that income is necessarily truly passive uh, because if you are the landlord, you do have to answer the phone when problems come up, when your tenants need something, um, then, you know, you're kind of that person. So it may not necessarily always be a a full-time job every day, but there's Mm -hmm. probably certain days it is a full-time job, right, Uh, when something comes up. You could, though, uh, some people do hire property managers to kind of take care of those. So they're the ones that field the phone calls, do the repairs. But then, of course, you have to pay them something. And typically, they're looking to take a percent of what that income is. So if you're, you know, again, it's a balance of kind of deciding how hands-on do you want to be versus how much income, you know, or what percentage profit, I guess, you want to be making on that property. Um, And there's also kind of nothing guaranteed about having a tenant. So if your occupancy goes to zero, well, it's kind of like being fired from your job, right? That income stream is kind of gone at that point until you can get another uh, tenant in there. But of course, we know the expenses of the property do continue. So that mortgage payment still going to be due even if your renter isn't there to help you pay for it. Uh, Sometimes repairs get worse when there are no tenants in the property as well, um, because there's not someone there actually like living there, using things, pipes can burst, stuff like that. Um, Of course, with the crazy cold weather we've been having, you know, you can imagine if you had a dormant property with Mm -hmm. negative 40 degrees, like if, if you didn't have a tenant there, you needed to be out there running the heat and, you know, having those, uh, faucet strip and everything. Um, If you are going to do rental property, you might think about rather than buying one or two units, maybe chipping in to buy 100 units so that the likelihood of occupancy going to 0% is virtually impossible. Um, If you would like to learn more about how we help average investors like you purchase not just one, but hundreds of units, um, feel free to book a meeting with us and we can help you learn more. Um, But rental income, it can be a great way to get that passive income stream going for you. Um, You know, and it's kind of interesting thinking about it versus the REIT, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it really is just going to kind of come down to what your preference is, what you're um, looking to do, you know, so it's like rental income probably have potential for a higher return, but it's a lot more hands-on, a lot more just to do. It's a lot more in general, whereas like the REIT is just kind of a straightforward, it's just more of an investment um, where you give them the money and they take care of the rest. So two different ways you can kind of accomplish the same or kind of get involved in the same field, but in a different way. Yeah. And since real estate is such a longstanding historical way to create income, we have two more ways that folks can uh, participate in real estate and get some of that income we've been talking about. The third of the four is called private equity funds. And this is unfortunately not available to just anybody. You have to usually be an institutional investor or an accredited investor, which means you need to be making, a. I think the uh, numbers are $200,000 a year or and a million dollar net worth. 
uh, to be considered accredited. And that gives you access to certain investments that aren't available to you know, other folks. Um, but it's essentially a private equity fund is composed of funds that, in, uh, that investors directly invest in private companies that are not listed on the public exchange like REITs would be, for example. And you can get into all kinds of different um, uh, modes of real estate. It could be storage units. It could be franchises. It could be mobile home parks. It could be multifamily unit buildings. The list kind of goes on and on and on. And you have to do your own due diligence since it's you know not always closely regulated by the SEC. In fact, uh, there have been some recent investigations by the SEC and by many state uh, uh, departments. Dep- beginning in 2015, a call was issued for more transparency in these private equity uh, firms and through the industry at large due to a lot of the income and earnings and the high uh, salaries that uh, are being paid to the folks that run these firms at you know really all, almost all private equity firms. It really needs a good washing and scrubbing uh, to make sure that the money is invested properly. So what about this other thing cal- called crowdfunding? How does that work for income? Yes. So fourth one is crowdfunding. So since private equity funds, like you just talked about, Mark, are really only for kind of an elite class of investors, crowdfunding and real estate, kind of the real estate market are a natural fit. So in a word, crowdfunding makes use of the easy accessibility of vast, you know, people's vast networks of friends, family, and colleagues through social media, uh, websites like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, to kind of get the word out about a new business and to attract investors. So crowdfunding has the potential to increase entrepreneurship by expanding the pool of investors from whom funds can be raised beyond the traditional circle of just you know that owner and their relatives and, and venture capitalists. So real estate crowdfunding works in a similar way. So if someone wants to invest in some real estate, but they don't want to actually have to own or maintain the building, like we talked about, you have to do with the um, rental income or kind of rental property, you can become a shareholder through a crowdfunding company. So then any profits that the real estate venture sees profits that come from rental income or the flipping of a property are going to be passed on to the investor. Um, One issue, though, is the fact that real estate crowdfunded investments are illiquid and not traded. Mm -hmm. So this means that in the event of an emergency for you personally, um, it might be nearly impossible for you to be able to just cash out kind of in in a moment or in an instant. uh, on an investment before the property is disposed. So it kind of has a, a fine you know, start date and end date to it, more or less. Yep. And so it can be kind of hard to just hop right out of if, if you happen to have something come up. Yeah. It, and that kind of like a bond would expose you to reinvestment rate risk where whatever the private equity fund is going to offer next is what you have to sort of accept uh, in terms of return. Uh, okay, great. What about dividend income? Number two way to create an income stream Uh, This is a uh, way to get just typical stocks to produce an income for you. Now, most people look at their 401ks, their IRAs, their brokerage accounts, and watch the value of those stocks go up and down, up and down. But why is Ford or Coca-Cola worth $5 today or $100 tomorrow? You know, what what is the computation? How do we get to that number? And the way that Wall Street calculates the cost or price of a stock is the this is going to sound nerdy, but the net present value of all the future dividends that the company might ever uh, pay out to its shareholders in today's dollars. So what does that mean in plain English? It just means that you get uh, you get to buy that stock uh, to anticipate the future income that that stock would bring. Because you're a co-owner uh, in that Coca-Cola or whatever, 
uh, for as long as you hold those shares. And the hope and the prayer is that that company is profitable and that they're going to give you some of that uh, profit in the way of dividends. Uh, so we talk a lot about dividend paying whole life insurance. It's the same in many ways. It's the same, different, but the same uh, when it comes to uh, stocks and in the stock market as well. So stocks are especially enticing for those that want to live on passive income. They're not caring about the cost or price of the stock. They just want the paycheck that comes from owning GM or whatever. Even Warren Buffett historically is a huge fan of dividend paying stocks. So if you are going to go this route, make sure that you educate yourself. You pick solid stocks that are going to be around for 20, 30, 50 years so that you can depend on them for your income. Sort of uh, important to realize. I mean, even General Electric, GE, which was once kind of the mainstay stalwart of dividend investing stocks, just recently dropped its dividend to a penny per share. I mean, that's, that's terrible for mm-hmm. a lot of people who are depending and were depending on GE being around, you know, for, till kingdom come. To have a penny per share is like a big pay cut in the worst years you could take it, which is your own retirement. Now, the third one that Holly's going to bring up is one of my recent favorites. And I'd love for you to kind of get us into peer-to-peer lending. Yes. So peer-to-peer lending, uh, I mean, you know, you know us here by now, you know, we love this idea of becoming your own banker. Um, But even better is when you can become someone else's banker. Come on, let's do that. So uh, many of our clients who are, you know, kind of happy with having uh, so much access to cash through their whole life insurance policies are oftentimes looking for a place to kind of get an additional return on that money. They understand the concept that they can have their money growing for them inside their policy, and then they can also take it out and have it growing somewhere else too. So they say, hey, you know, where can I be getting some additional return on this money then? So while keeping, you know, other cash values, of course, available for life's emergencies and other opportunities, perhaps make sure you always have a safety kind of buffer available to you. Um, Two years worth of income Mm -hmm. minimum, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if not more. Um, But one of the ways that actually some of our clients have put their policies to kind of extra work, putting them to work in kind of double duty is through peer-to-peer lending. So when you are the bank, you collect the monthly loan payments. So think about your mortgage, think about your car payments. Imagine being, you know, Ally Financial or, you know, whoever that is, um, who's getting your checks every month. Well, imagine that being you. That'd be pretty nice, right? Yeah. If you're the one getting mm-hmm. collecting that check. So one of the best ways that we've seen clients use this is through the peer-to-peer lending services. So peer-to-peer lending, is when you loan other people money, obviously, Um, usually on a transparent and also audited marketplace like a website uh, with investment returns in the 5 to 10% range. So investing money with a company like Lending Club is one of them um, can get you much higher income results than a typical savings or just money market account. So uh, according to a PricewaterhouseCoopers report, Although, this is their quote, quote, although still in its infancy as a market, U.S. peer-to-peer platforms issued approximately $5.5 billion in loans in 2014, end quote. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also additionally estimated that the market could reach, the market of peer-to-peer lending could reach $150 billion or higher in 2025. So people are kind of recognizing this great opportunity of there are people out there that are just kind of sitting on cash that they don't know what else to do with because maybe they don't want to risk it in the stock market because they know that that could go to zero. Um, And so they're not wanting to do that. So they could give it to someone 
And there's also, you know, kind of like that matching system. There's someone out there who needs money and maybe doesn't want to have to succumb to the predatory lending practices of the banks and Mm -hmm. other people that they'd maybe otherwise have to kind of be at the mercy of. So, um, you know, even PwC is kind of recognizing this as um, something that people are kind of starting to get more used to, the idea of, and we'll be seeing more and more of it in the years to come. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a 5,000-year-old industry uh, loaning each other money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, why do we need to use a mega bank to coordinate that if we can do it through peer-to-peer lending platforms? Now, super important that you do your due diligence because they are still, like Holly, you mentioned, they're still in their infancy and there's a lot of, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of scandals that come out if we pick the wrong platform. You could be mm-hmm. exposed to abuse or lose your money and so forth. So be aware of that. Yeah. Um, number four, you could write a book. You know, we had uh, Ryan Rieger on recently on a podcast episode, uh, and he writes his books as another form of income. Uh, And, you know, I've had the privilege of writing several books, and it's true. You can get a royalty check uh, and see a percentage of every book that gets paid as another uh, drop in your income buckets. Uh, So once your book is available on a site like maybe Amazon, you could receive a check each month for basically doing nothing at all. I mean, the work is done. You might want to do an effective marketing plan. You might want to get the word out uh, that your book is available and and valuable for folks. Uh, But obviously, the more time you spend on marketing your books, the more money you'll make. So keep that in your back pocket. Everyone can be an author these days. You don't have to have the Gutenberg Press. Uh, So what about number five? Speaking of uh, selling online. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, really, number five is selling products online or specifically Amazon. But of course, this could be done on other platforms as well. Um, Number of people have been successful with eBay or any of those other just kind of consumer websites. So, I mean, obviously, you probably shop on Amazon, most of the world does. Um, And so you can sell your own products on Amazon and have you can actually even have Amazon ship the products for you. So uh, we actually know someone who we just shared. Uh, he was with us on the uh, on the podcast just last episode, Ryan Regan, Ryan Rieger, who has done really well with this. As and he makes six figures a year selling his own products online. So Ryan Rieger was episode seventy six, and then we also interviewed another Amazon success yeah. story, Danny Stock, uh, episode fifty eight, I think. Uh, yeah, yep. check that out. Yep, mm-hmm. and so both of them have kind of shared their stories of how it's possible to kind of make um, a good living just selling products on Amazon. So with the explosion of e-commerce, you know, drop shipping has become very popular and this is kind of how it works. So you create an online store that offers products from certain manufacturers. So a person would visit your website, they see something they like, they place an order, they purchase that product, then your system actually sends the order to that specific manufacturer. The manufacturer then completes the order by shipping it directly to the consumer. So really, what did you do? Yeah. (laughs) Not much in that whole process. So one of the cool things about this type of business is that you don't need to have order inventory. So the customer pays for the product, you collect the profits, and the manufacturer manufacturer stores and ships the products to the customer. It's really as simple as that. And so if you guys certainly want to hear more about that, you know, again, if this is one of those streams of income that sounds interesting or enticing to you, 
something you could do. Um, but go ahead and feel free to look up amzlegends.com, and there are some great resources there. Yeah, and as you can tell, some of these are more hands-on than others. You can be a landlord, which is a little more hands-on, or you can, you know, just simply collect your peer-to-peer lending check each month. You know, so you just pick and choose what kind of hands-on nature you want your streams to look like. Uh, so the the next one is going to get a, a little more traditional for a moment. Uh, you can have defined benefit plans and pension plan income. So these are literally income streams that are designed usually by your employer, which are essentially a protected, you know, predicted. Uh, income for a future date. So, you know, you work in your uh, uh, job for 20 years, you get a pension. Or if you want to do it privately and have your own private pension for yourself, something called an annuity creates a protected guaranteed income in retirement. Now, that those words almost sound anathema to most people. Again, uh, you know, the average financial wisdom out there says that you need to just sort of hope and pray that you make enough in your 401k, and then hope and pray you figure out the right amount to take out in retirement income. Uh, but the truth is annuities and pensions too have been around for many years and have solved that problem for us. Uh, even as we've said before, even PhDs can't figure out the best and right way to take money out of their you know qualified 401ks. So annuities and pensions help solve that. Uh, so you can create a workhorse for income generation it's not going to be about rate of return. It's going to be about return of income. Uh, so I like a little bit of both, to be honest. However, both pensions, annuities, and the next two we'll talk about are not great at complete liquidity or access to the money. So the next two are Social Security uh, income, which is a kind of pension. You might think of it that way. And of course, bonds create a, a fixed income, uh, an amount of money that just comes to you each and every month or each and every year. Uh, All of these are, in general, low risk, low return, and uh, give you some exposure, especially bonds, to reinvestment rate risk, which we'll get into in an upcoming episode 79, I believe. So keep your hats on for that one. That's going to be a fun one. What about number seven, personal savings and investments? Yes. So sometimes the personal savings in your investments can be a source of passive income as well. Um, so if you have money in a 401k, an IRA, which are kind of your more traditional qualified plans, um, you can take distributions from those that will act as a passive income stream for you. Um, also stock options through work, going ahead and exercising those stock options, that can be a source of income for you. Um, bond or CD laddering. Um, CD laddering is a strategy used to access higher rates, usually reserved for long-term CDs, while still allowing a portion of your money to be accessible at short-term in- intervals. So, you know, essentially you're going to be laddering them, which just means that you're purchasing them at different intervals with different ex- expiration dates. So as you, you know, you purchase one, you hold the next year you purchase you hold and next thing you know you'll when you get to the point where those start coming due you'll start receiving that money um, as kind of a passive income stream you can do the same thing with bonds as well so seven is kind of different personal savings and investments that if done in the right way can also become a passive income stream 
Um, number eight here is also um, uh, cash value life insurance. So uh, life insurance can also be a stream of passive income, as we've talked about. If you have a type of life insurance policy that provides a cash value, then that cash value can actually be accessed in any way that you want. Um, and so you could just take money as you need it, or if you wanted to as well, that could be an income stream where you can actually you know, kind of calculate to with certain um, reasonability to pull how much you can pull from it you know each month each year um, to kind of have that passive income stream coming from there as well um, then number nine mark would you like to share that one with our listeners yeah sure we're looking at a lot of these and again they don't all apply to every person so if you mm-hmm. even just pick out two of these ten and add them to your overall financial life you're you're going to be tremendously stronger as a and, and more uh, resilient uh, if you lose your job or uh, an income, other income stream dries up. So number nine is owning a business, but not necessarily running a business. So there might be a lot of small business owners listening to our episode right now, and you might some days feel like you own your business, and that's great. Other times you might feel like you just simply bought yourself an expensive job. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes you work as hard as you possibly can and in your business, but forget to uh, build a business that you're working on and working out of. At some point, it'll be important for you to uh, develop an exit strategy. All of us, if you're a business owner, will eventually leave the business that you currently run. So why not create a, uh, a strategy to do that while you still can enjoy it? Okay. So the idea here is you can create a business that generates income and to have the right people in the right seats running the business for you. Uh, whether it be through the purchase of an existing business or a franchise or opening your own business, uh, your great business idea can be a viable source of passive income. And once that business is running and humming and you've got all the right people in the right seats, you simply collect the dividends and the shareholder distributions or royalties. So that's number nine. Number 10 is rent your stuff. So nobody has any excuse not to do this one. All it takes is a little bit of time and a platform to do it. And places like Craigslist or Turo can give you exactly that uh, just with the stuff you've already got. You've got all this stuff kind of just languishing in the, in the back corners of your closet or garage. Why not put it to work? You know, thousands of people every day are looking for ways and places to rent stuff. And maybe you don't need all of the uh, extra extension ladders or that old party tent you bought you know, 20 years ago, or all those tables and chairs, or, you know, power tools, or utility trailers, log splitters, chainsaws, snowmobiles. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you've got something, even your own car can be rented out. I heard the other day, Holly, that the average vehicle sits dormant for like 98% of of its lifetime. (laughs) Can you imagine spending that much money on something that you'd use only 2% of its entire lifetime? Yep. It's crazy. So you could rent out the car, and use it uh, as an income generator while you're sleeping. Uh, so just make sure you have the proper rental agreement. And all, uh, again, oftentimes websites like Turo can help you do this. Again, we're not, I don't know everything about the, that particular website, but that's just one of many that are out there. And it'll help protect you and protect your property that you're renting out. So for extra peace of mind, you could even consider requesting a security deposit when you rent something out like that. So that is 10 ways to get some income flowing. If if we haven't gotten your imagination going yet, uh, <laughs> I don't know what we can do. So <laughs> find fun ways to make this uh, uh, adding some financial peace to your life. It doesn't have to be complicated. And try one and see how it feels. So uh, any other final thoughts, Holly? 
No, I think that just about covers it. I think we've given our listeners some pretty good food for thought. <laughs> no, so we, we have covered a lot of ground in today's episode. So we will be spending more time in the next episode on what risks are out there that could cause your streams of income to dry up. So stay tuned for that. We are looking forward to it. And thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.